A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. Don't let it be your head laid on my chest. Don't let it be your words against mine. Don't let it be your head. Welcome to the third series of the Chronically Fit Show, the podcast where we talk to athletes or sports enthusiasts with chronic conditions. My name's David Savage, and on this series, I am supported by Marcel Patterson, a fitness expert, and as ever, Marla Morkin, a doctor and chronic health expert. When social media is awash with images that many people will find unattainable, today's guest, Anna, is a wonderful antidote to that. She has digestive tract paralysis. She has to wear a medical device, a feeding tube, uh, and that does not stop her working out, going to the gym, and setting an example to other people who might not fit into the stereotyped view of normal that she absolutely is and can push herself and could be strong. So today's interview is really interesting. Um, I think it's very brave of Anna, not only to, to come on the show and share her story, but to have an Instagram account where she shows that she is completely normal and she can push herself just like anybody else. She just has to work around an extra piece of equipment that most of us don't have. After today's show, we're going to take a short mid-season break for one week because next week, I am running three marathons back to back, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, as I run around 90 miles, 140 kilometers from London to Canterbury along a a historic route called the Pilgrim's Way here in the UK um, to raise money for PSC support. As some of you may be aware, PSC, primary sclerosing cholangitis, is the condition that I've been diagnosed with. If you'd like to support me, well, that certainly wouldn't be something that I'd uh, that I'd discourage. And uh, if you have a look in the, in the show notes, the fundraising link will be there. But anyway, enjoy today's interview with Anna, and thank you for listening. Today I'm talking to Anna. Anna, just very quickly, whereabouts are you from? Um, I'm actually from Hungary, uh, and I lived in Germany for almost a year, and I've been here in the UK for two years now. It must be quite strange that... The- that half the time you've lived here, we've been in lockdown. <laughs> oh, yeah, indeed. <laughs> Interesting way to get to know a place. It definitely is, especially the flat. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, thanks for making some time to chat to us today. Um, thanks for having me. You, you are a fitness enthusiast uh, and you're a fitness enthusiast who has digestive tract paralysis. Um, yeah. If anyone is unfamiliar with what that really is. Do you mind just kind of talking us through what your condition means? Yeah, of course. So it basically means that essentially my stomach is my worst of of my whole digestive tract and it doesn't empty any further. So anything that goes into my stomach 
anything I eat or drink, it just stays there until it builds up and it's so much that I have to vomit it back up. And this way, obviously, I wasn't getting basically any nutrients because the intestines are where most of that is, is absorbed. And my intestines and my colon is also very slow, so much slower than normal persons, but my stomach is the part that's basically fully paralyzed. Is that something that has all, that you were born with that's gotten worse, that developed later in life? Um, it's actually a secondary condition to a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Um, and that's genetic. So we know the mutation I have. Um, I had the genetic test and that confirmed it, that that's the case. And this whole digestive thing, it, it can come with, with EDS in a lot of cases. And I was diagnosed two years ago. And up until that point, I've had issues, but... I thought they were normal because they, they weren't really limiting my life. But two years ago was the point when when things just really went downhill the first time. And and that's when I was actually diagnosed with with it. It's interesting that you say that you thought the issues that you experienced were normal, because I guess it's not the kind of thing <laughs> that you discuss with people, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you don't really discuss it with people that you feel so full that you feel like you're about to burst after after a cup of tea. <laughs> you you don't just tell that to people because they will just say that you're, oh, you're overreacting and that's it. If I get the timeline right, you, you've been in the UK for two years. You were diagnosed, diagnosed roughly two years ago. Um, how much of your treatment has been has been here and and was that a different i suppose the tr tricky thing was if you've moved from a couple of different countries and then you're probably dealing with different healthcare systems and different doctors and, yeah, exactly. and you're at various different stages of, of 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 a diagnosis that in itself must have been quite tricky yeah it really was because i was actually diagnosed in germany and a few months after diagnosis i moved here to the uk so most of my care has been here which i'm really really thankful for because um German healthcare is great, but the insurance system is kind of similar to what they have in the US, as in you have an insurance company and you have to pay a set amount each month and certain things aren't in the insurance plan and, and you have to work around that. Mm -hmm. uh, and also waiting times are crazy in Germany, at least they were for me. So when I wasn't going through the emergency room, I would have had to wait five, six, seven months for an appointment. And obviously I, I had already had the plans to, to move here. So it was just easier to get a letter from my GP in Germany saying that these are what we did. This is what the thing needs to be done. Came to the UK, handed the letter into my GP and basically went from there. Getting that diagnosis, how did that make you feel? Because your condition, the treatment, is a feeding tube. Yeah. And 
Look, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 22. Yeah. So, age 20 years old, to be told that you're going to have a feeding tube, you're going to have surgery, you're going to have something that's quite visible, um, and other people might find different, um, that must be quite a lot to to deal with. Um, but at the same time, I suppose you might just be happy that there's a route to not feeling full after a cup of tea so i suppose it's mixed emotions right um yeah actually it, at first it was pretty mixed and the doctors in germany told me that it it can be managed with diet alone sometimes it can be managed with certain medications and obviously we had to try all of them and for a while i was doing not good but not not terrible on medication mm. <laughs> and and I thought that, okay, I might be one of the lucky ones who, who is managed by medication and diet changes alone. And obviously when, when I started going really, really downhill last year, around this time or a little bit before, um, that's when a feeding tube was mentioned first. And it was quite a shock. And I was really hesitant about not going forward with it because obviously if I told myself that it, if it's the only option, then I'm going to go with it. But it it was a huge change and, and the shock to take in at first. But I got used to it pretty fast, I think. <laughs> did you have to, I mean, did your friends react to it in a way that, that, I mean, how, how, I, I would hope that they were wholly supportive, right? But yeah, 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 they were. Kind of from a social from a social perspective, I suppose all those things that that you might normally take for granted, all of a sudden you've got to plan a little bit. Like you've you've yeah. got to carry stuff with you. You've got to take equipment with you if you want to go out or, or be away from home for any length of time, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> the whole time I had a feeding tube, it's been mostly a lockdown, so going out wasn't is, really yes. much of an issue. Uh, to mm. be fair, I think everyone took it quite well, especially my partner. He's, I was afraid that he'd be, he'd be a bit, not afraid of the whole thing, but he, he would hold back. He wouldn't hug me because he, he'd be afraid that he'd hurt me, stuff like that. But, but he's, he's took it amazingly. And I think the big reason is why the big reason everyone took it so well was because I was so unwell before I had it that, you know, this came as a, as a huge change and a shock, but it's what's helped me and it's what's helping me. <laughs> so I think if you, if you look at it that way, it's, it's a positive change. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Look, one one of the things that your Instagram uh, mentions is that you want to be a future PT. Yeah. Um, now I can imagine that if you weren't getting nutrients from your food uh, previously, working out and exerting yourself would have been almost impossible. Uh, it, whereas it now impossible. that you are, yeah, now that you are getting that the nutrients that you need, you're mm -hmm. able to to work yes. out. Was was. Was the gym and personal training and so on something before your diagnosis, before you started to go downhill? Or is it, has this been something that has been a revelation since? Um, 
wanting to become a PT is a new thing after diagnosis, but with fitness running, uh, I was on the school volleyball team in high school. So it's, it's been quite a long journey, <laughs> but the reason I wanted to become a PT is because my illness took so much from me and, and I felt like I, I never would be able to get that back to, to get back to a level where I can just pop down to the gym because I feel like I want to. And there's not many help when it comes to working out with feeding tubes. So it's, it's quite, sometimes it's quite hard to figure it out um, by myself. And I want to be able to help others with the same journey. So if they are, they are scared to work up with a feeding tube, I'd actually be qualified by experience and qualified by training to help them. So in terms of fitness, I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant that you want to show other people, you know, far what you're learning yourself, but what, do you have particular goals? Look, I say that because I've always found it quite difficult to train just for the sake of training. Um, for me, it's very much around, I enter into races and, and that kind of gives me motivation. And then obviously the underlying health conditions as well. There's that added bonus that I know yeah. that it's <laughs> going to stand me in good stead in the future to be in as, as decent a shape as I can be. Um, but what, what ambitions do you have? I suppose with the, with the feeding tube now, it does give you that ability to at least know that you have a solution um, that enables you to to get to get the the food that you need to, to be able to push yourself. So have you got goals? Um, I think my short-term goal is to gain a bit of muscle, <laughs> a bit, <laughs> because obviously last year I lost over 20 pounds. Wow. And thankfully I gained that back by now, but, you know, I lost a lot of muscle as well. So... And I don't quite feel like I have have it all back. <laughs> and I just want to be a bit stronger. But also I have I have longer term goals with running. Um I'm actually doing a fundraiser for Guts UK. They are a charity for um all kind of GI disorders in the UK. Mm. And I will be running a hundred kilometers in July for them. It's a huge challenge, but but I'm training to be able to do the whole thing, hopefully with ease, and hopefully in the future I I can do more. Getting back to half marathons would be would be amazing. <laughs> Given where you were in terms of the weight loss, yeah, it must feel like a a huge step. And a challenge to be able to get that under your belt. Just out of interest, look, you're you're a young woman. Body image is, you know, you go on Instagram. You're using Instagram really positively to to show um, that you're, you know, that you're able to do all those things that you want to do in terms of training. You can go despite a feeding tube, and and it'd be good to get into kind of the perception of feeding tubes and and medical devices more generally, but. Um, <clears throat> Instagram is a place where you can see pictures of abnormally 
beautiful people uh, and the world yeah. looks wonderfully perfect uh, all the time and and you lose all of that weight and that must be mentally quite challenging as much as anything. What do you think kind of gave you the determination to get back to where you are, to get back to the position where running 100 kilometers in a month was, was, was something that was achievable? Hmm, that's actually a very good question. <laughs> um, obviously, I, I want to show not just other people, but just generally to, to people who, who aren't familiar with either my illness or, or any other illness, that if you get a medical device because you need one, it, there's a huge chance that it's not going, not going to hold you back. But but give you the opportunity to do the things you love again. Because a year ago, I I couldn't have imagined that I'd be I'd be training, I'd be running a hundred kilometers. It's it would have been impossible. And the only reason I can do that is because I have consistent nutrition. What was your perception of, of medical devices prior to this? I was lucky because I had I already had a very small Instagram account where I followed uh, people with similar issues, so I knew about the whole thing, and that's definitely helped. Um, I didn't really think much of them because if someone needs one, then it's in their best interest. I suppose there's that thing that you look at. Um... You you would forgive people for looking at the fact that you need a medical device and then assuming that you need to be wrapped in cotton wool. It was interesting that you said that you were worried that your partner um, might not be as attentive because you were because you were worried he would worry that he would hurt you. Yep. <laughs> and that must be a common yeah it issue almost is. conception, right? Especially in the gym, everyone's really friendly and. Everyone's always there to help if I have a question, but but sometimes they they have asked me if if I should be doing this, <laughs> right? If, if I should really be there, if I if I'm well enough to do it. Are the gym users PT management? Other uh, gym users. So the PTs right. have been amazing, and obviously I told them the whole story briefly, and. <laughs> And told them that I I know my body and if I'm if I'm unwell I I won't come down to train because I'm unwell. Um, but other people obviously don't know the whole story, so they they might see a feeding tube and think, oh my god, she has she has such a huge issue. Sick people don't usually go to the gym because that's a common assumption again, um, which is obviously not true. But <laughs> but that's what. That's what people usually think. And and when I tell them that this is actually the reason that I can be here and, yeah, I'm connected to my feeding pump while I'm at the gym because I have to. But but that doesn't make me any less able to do, do my workout. <laughs> I suppose if they see you at a piece of equipment doing just as well as anybody else... That does a lot to change that misconception, right? Yeah, probably. So look, I mean, is this something that... You mentioned that it could be managed by diet, perhaps. Mm -hmm. 
um, and medication. Is this something that you look at as going, no, the feeding tube, that works and that's me and, and that's going to be me for the foreseeable? Or is it that it's the feeding tube works for me now, but maybe in the future I could find a diet, a regime, something that could work for me? Um, I think it's the first option at the moment. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's there's lots of research going on in the UK as well as in, in the US. And if or when they, they find something that could help and my doctors think that it's an option for me to try, I'm going to try it. And best case scenario, it helps me and we can remove my feeding tube. Um, that might not happen or might not happen in five years or 10 years, maybe not even 20 years. It's an option. And I like to think of that as an option. Mm -hmm. um, not because um, I don't feel okay with a feeding tube or don't feel good about having one, um, but because obviously I miss food. <laughs> and... <laughs> And it it would be great and and such an easier life if if I could just eat again. Yeah, I think what would be really interesting, what you would say to someone who has or is coming up to a diagnosis like this, you know, they're, they're suffering from issues and then they discover they discover that they've got similar issues to what you've got. What what would you say to yourself, say three years ago? that they, they shouldn't stay silent about symptoms that have been going on for a long time. Because even if they are there for a long time and they don't feel right, they are probably not right and not normal. And not everyone suffers with them, <laughs> just because you do. <laughs> um, but also to do your own research and maybe you won't find anything else that your doctor didn't recommend already, but you might come across something that can really help. That's either, either a diet or, or what you, what you need to eliminate from your diet to maybe help you. Um, other than that, just stay, stay in the day. <laughs> And take it day by day, yeah. and and you have if you have a better day, use it, but don't overdo it because that's that's going to hold you back. Well, look, I really appreciate you giving up some time and talking about this. It's obviously something that you're still kind of learning yourself to a degree, exactly. but it's brilliant that you're sharing that story at the same time. And um, Fingers crossed you get an opportunity to actually enjoy the UK a little bit more this year as we <laughs> hopefully come out of lockdown. Yes, I can't wait, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. This this one I thought was, was really interesting because uh, there's so much stigma, right? There's got to be so much stigma around people who've got medical devices. So to have someone talk about the fact that the medical device, in terms of her feeding tube, um, was the thing that helps her um, and that it was a positive change is such such a good message to hear 
because I think I think you look at someone who's got a medical device and totally wrongly you assume somehow that they are weaker when in fact that medical device is the thing that gives someone their independence back. Yeah, I think it was great because I think a lot of people avoid getting symptoms checked out because they're scared of a diagnosis. But for Anna, the diagnosis actually allowed her to positively change her life because obviously she wasn't getting any nutrients, she wasn't able to exercise. And the diagnosis, although it would have been upsetting at first, finding out you need a medical device, actually that's allowed her to live the life that she wants to and to be able to exercise and be able to push herself to do these, you know, 100 mile runs or whatever it was that she said she was doing and also to become a PT. And I think it's looking at, the, at it with that positivity rather than always thinking about the negative. I think she was great for that. Marla, um, just on that point, when... What, what is the reaction of friends and family like? You know, as, as from a medical point of view, Anna said there that she was worried that her partner might be scared about hurting her. I mean, I, I guess as a clinician, you spend most of the time talking to the patient and actually that, that family dynamic in terms of how they react to stuff like this is, is, is crucial too. I mean, chronic conditions are, they affect everyone around you. It's not just you as a person and that that's the person that's uh, experiencing it. And I love that Anna spoke so openly about about like the fear of hugging and all of these different things, right? Like, will things change? Will people treat me differently? I, I think it's really important things to talk about because, you know, one of the things that we do specifically at the pain clinic, at Lever Clinic, is we explain to people that it's about doing things differently, right? But the only way you can do things differently is if you bring everyone else on your journey. And sometimes that's a really uncomfortable thing to do. Sometimes it's a really difficult and hard thing to to be able to say, you know, this is what I need in this specific situation. If we're going to go out to a restaurant, if we're going to go out for, you know, a weekend away, this is what I will need because you don't want to be a burden. And and so, I mean, a huge kudos to people like Anna that are standing up and saying, do you know what, I'm... I, I'm just living my life and I'm going to be vocal and honest and I'm going to you know, not be scared. I'm going to try and do as many things as I can. And as Marcel says, you know, doing things in a way that I can, I can live the life I want to live, which I just think is powerful. Right. Do you think people get embarrassed about medical devices? Is it? No, I was just going to say off the back of what you were saying, Marla, about people adjusting to kind of, you know, going out for meals and things like that. I think there is a big embarrassment factor. And I think it's because people judge you because you're different, because they don't understand what you're going through, which is where I think it's great that people like Anna are putting things on Instagram and raising awareness, because hopefully it will help other people with their understanding and hopefully take that embarrassment factor away a little bit. And I, I like to flip on that as well and say, I actually think it's not the people that have the feeding tubes and the medical devices that are embarrassed. It's people around them that somehow are awkward about it. They don't understand it. So they they become, you know, red-faced and awkward and don't know what to say, do, act. When actually just asking someone, uh, could you, you know, could, and it doesn't work for everyone, but, you know, like, the, just being open and saying, is there anything I can do to support you um, today or et cetera? You know, just, there's no need to hide around the, the corner on on this, right, and beat around the bush, right? You just need to look at conditions in their eyes, heads on, and not be British about it and just be open and talk to a human. And I just think that we all need to 
and myself included, clinicians included, you know, the first time you see something, you're always a bit like, oh, what's that? But we just need to be more normalized to this and things like the Paralympic Games and, and Instagram and just seeing more disabled figures on TV is just incredible at opening up these discussions finally to the forefront of people's minds. I think it's great as well that she wants to go back to the gym, that she wants to, you know, the, she says that the illness took so much, she never felt that she'd get back to that level um, and that there, there was, you know, not much help regarding working out with a feeding tube. She wants to be in the gym. She wants to exercise regardless of what anybody else might think. I also love that she wants to help others overcome that fear and getting that qualification to be able to help them is really important to her. And given the amount of people who claim to be fitness experts, and one of the reasons, Marcel, that we asked you on the podcast is the fact that you do actually have some qualifications and and have a bit of an understanding, but there are so many accounts out there that could give really dangerous advice, especially if someone has an extra complication that isn't being thought of in whatever's been put out there. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, because you see people who say that they're, you know, fitness professionals, and they're not even using the correct, you know, techniques themselves, let alone have enough knowledge to help someone who's got a disability or an illness that they need to take into consideration as well. And I think it's great that she wants to become a PT to share her knowledge, because there isn't enough knowledge out there, you know, not everyone's going to know how to train with every different illness or, or disease. But I think people like Anna, you know, getting as much information as they can out there about their own experience is only going to help other people. And I think if more people do that, then it's only going to help kind of everyone increase their knowledge, which would be great for people in the future. Yeah. And social is exactly the right kind of platform for that, because let's face it, not every gym is going to have someone that you can go to who is working out with a medical device. So that's that's the brilliant, like, I, I know that there's hundreds of thousands of people doing pretty much exactly the same thing on Instagram with regards to fitness, but there needs to be more room and easier to find the people who are doing things that are slightly unusual that actually you need access to that information because it's not readily available at the PT that, that you could go and see in person anyway. That's the thing, there's so many negatives with social media, but I think there are so many positives and people like Anna can really use it as a platform, which I think is great. Uh, look, both of you, thank you for your time today. Marla, you mentioned there about people coming into the clinic and, and, and dealing with it. Just if, if, if someone wanted to know a bit more about the clinic and how it's helping people with chronic pain, how would they do that? Uh, yeah, sure. You just go on to www.levaclinic.com. That's L-E-V-A clinic. And Marcel, uh, this episode, I'll spare you having to try out your handle and we'll just share it in the show notes. Thank you. <laughs>